0: Right. Well, welcome everybody. It is good to have you here. Good to have this opportunity to open up God's word. We're continuing on in our series actually for finishing today our series Fresh Start and we're going to get into that in just a second, but welcome to you for those of you who are in the room, for those watching on the from the Moon campus or in the Uh, the classic venue or online, wherever you're checking this out, good to have you a part of this. Now, before we get into today's topic, the final topic in our Fresh Start series, I want to draw your attention to something that is inside the Pathway Notes because it's talking about our next series, where we're going from this. And inside, you can find this card right here. It tells you what we're doing next, and that is that we are going to be studying Daniel we're going to jump into the Old Testament. We are going to be doing kind of a quick pass through the book of Daniel, and I'm very much looking forward to this, and uh, you know somebody who would might be interested in taking part in this series with us, somebody who's not already a part of Pathway, or maybe somebody who is a part of Pathway, but you haven't seen him for a while. It's like, well, let's reach out, and that's what you can use this for. You already know what's coming next week. You don't need this, but you can take this and hand it to somebody else, invite someone to come and join us for this next next series as we get into it. I'm looking forward to that, so I hope you're looking forward to it. Also, bring your journals back next week. Your journals are also for the Daniel series, and we'll be giving you a little something that you can mark on the front Of your journal, um, pointing out the fact that it's not just about Fresh Start, but that journal also contains Daniel. So that's what we're going to be talking about next week. But we're going into today's topic here and now, which is the last in this series on Fresh Start. And today we're going to think about the subject of faith. And I wonder are you a person who finds it easy or difficult to have faith in other people or in other things? And as I ask that question, you probably are thinking, well, that kind of depends on, on who that other person is or what the other thing is you're asking me to put my faith in. And I understand that. I get that. I go through that also. In fact, my mind was kind of centered around that this last week as, as I read a news release that just came out about a bridge that has just been completed. It is the longest glass-bottomed footbridge in the world. Here you can see it right here. And as I was thinking about this subject of faith, I got to thinking, would I have enough faith to walk across this bridge? This bridge is about four-tenths of a mile long. It is that long. It is glass-bottomed, as you can see here. It's got a deep canyon underneath it. And I'm wondering, would I walk across that? And I'm kind of wondering about you. How many of you would be like, yeah, no problem. I'd walk right across that. No issues whatsoever. Okay, that's a lot of you. How many of you would say, I am not getting on that bridge to save my life? How many of you? All right, that's more of you. All right. How many of you do you think that you'd approach this? Well, there's another picture of the bridge here, too, I think. And there it is. You can kind of see see more of the nature of this bridge. How many of you would be more, perhaps you'd be comfortable being like this kid that you see right here? Just kind of chilling, kind of hanging out, you know, enjoying the bridge. All right, maybe not many. How many of you would be more like this kid? Yeah, right? Walking on the metal edge of the bridge, holding on for dear life, right? And would your faith in this bridge change any if you saw the picture of what happened to a similar bridge about a year ago? Yeah. Now how's your faith in walking over that bridge, right? This is something that we need to ask ourselves and ponder. That's what we're going to be thinking about today. The truth is that the depth of our faith can sometimes be fluid, Based on the circumstances that are happening or something that we learn, something that's added to a situation that we're in, it can kind of change our perspective, even right in the middle of it. And you might be someone who's like, you know what, my faith seems to flop all over the place. Sometimes it's strong, and sometimes it's not so strong, and and that sort of has implications for the way that we live our lives. How do we get to a place where our faith might be more solid, where we're going to be thinking about that and more things as well? Because oftentimes we don't even do that much of an evaluation about our faith. When was the last time you sort of sat down and said, now what about the nature of my faith? How is it? How strong is it? How is it growing? How is it weak? probably haven't done. In fact, most people, if they are asked, tell me about The nature of your faith. Tell me about the strength of your faith. What they are going to respond with is that they will tell you things about the outward circumstances of their life. They'll tell you about their church attendance or they'll tell you about how they volunteer, how much they read the Bible or how much they pray or how they're kind of curbing their, their negative emotions or their negative circumstances or their anger or their gossip. They'll talk about these outward circumstances that are going on in their life. But those are while it's important to understand what's going on there, those are side effects. Those are outcomes for something that's happening more deeply inside us. That's what we need to understand. The real measure of our spiritual health is the state of our faith. That's the real measure. It's the state of our faith, and so that's what we're going to be talking about here today. If our faith is growing, it's going to show itself in our prayer. It's going to be an outcome. The prayer is going to be an outcome of the fact that there's something significant going on in our faith, or self-control, or connection to the body is going to result because our faith is strong. If our faith is not growing, then we may try to manufacture one or more of those attributes, and that's what oftentimes we do, but you're not going to be consistent with it. You're going to struggle with maintaining that, and if that can almost be a way to diagnose the nature of your faith is to see are these circumstances that are flowing out of the nature of my faith of what it is are they sustained are they moving forward am I growing in these things naturally or is it constantly an effort for me to try to manufacture these things in my life and I'm always frustrated about it and I'm never really making any progress well perhaps that's because if you look deeper inside at the nature of what's going on in your faith itself that there's no real strength there and so there's nothing that is that's enervating in our lives To create those things that otherwise we ought to have. Faith and the nature of our faith is an absolute essential when we think about how are we doing and setting ourselves up for what we ought to be living by. Not just trying to ask ourselves, how can I try to add this on? You ever had that frustration? "I I know I should be better at this and I'm trying to add it on, but I just can't maintain it to ask ourselves, what's underlying that in terms of the nature of our faith? This is what Paul is always asking. Paul started a church in the place called Thessalonica. It's called Thessalonica is the letter that he wrote to them, and he sends Timothy, his co-worker, to Thessalonica. He'd started the church there, but he couldn't stay very long, and so he wants to understand how they're doing, and so he sends Timothy to them to check up and to see what's going on. Specifically, the thing that he wants to know is how is their church? faith? That's what he's asking. And you can see this. It just comes blasting forward. You, if you turn to the book of First Thessalonians, you look into chapter 3. I'm going to show it to you so that you can see it. Here's what Paul is wondering. Here's what Paul writes in chapter 3. He says, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Next verse, very next verse. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Very next verse. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. A couple verses later in verse 10, it says, night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and support what was lacking in your faith. Faith, all of this is setting up what he says right at the beginning of the chapter is his motivation for writing in the first place. Back in verse two, it says this, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and coworker in God's service and spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. When Paul wanted to know how things were going in Thessalonica, how the believers were doing there, he doesn't write to them and ask or doesn't ask Timothy, you know, how are they getting along with one another? He doesn't ask, is the church growing? He doesn't even ask if they're reading his letters. He wants to know how is your faith because that is the litmus test. That is the thing that will point out to Paul all the rest of the stuff that he doesn't even need to know because he can assume what's going to transpire in those realms based on the nature of their faith. And this is instructive for us. If Paul is so concerned about this, as this being sort of the linchpin of whether or not you are marching forward well in faith or not, then it's essential for us. The reason we stumble and struggle and spin our wheels spiritually and fail to be consistent is because of the breakdown of our faith. So today, what I want to do is I want to talk about what it might look like to experience a fresh start in our faith. Because for all of us, there are times when we start to shrink back, when that sort of that the wobbling back and forth of faith because of circumstances that unfold in our lives, why that can sometimes leave, we want to take a look at, well, what does that mean for us and how do we establish a better position to be in than what we have been in? How do we establish this fresh start of faith? We've been looking at fresh start, obviously, through this series. We've talked about relationships. We've talked about parenting. We've talked about prayer. We've talked about time. If you missed any of those, go back, listen to those. There's valuable stuff there also. But today we're going to be taking a a look at this idea of faith, which is really the thing that undermines or underpins all of those. It's the foundation for all of how we live our spiritual life. So unfortunately, it seems we oftentimes get confused about faith and what it looks like and, and how we might foster its development in our life. And so instead, we try to add things on instead of forming the foundation of faith. And so today, what I want to do is I want to sort of pick up this topic. And I want to turn it around, and I look at, want to look at some of the different facets of it so we might understand what does it look like to establish a fresh start, and what would that even look like in the realm of faith so we're going to talk about. It. And sometimes it's helpful when we try to think about what is something or learning some, something about the nature of something that we, we kind of should know, but we we. Kind of get confused about it sometimes it's helpful to actually consider what it's not in order to get a better handle on what it is and so that's where we're going to get started with this when we think about faith first of all what faith is not all right what faith is not there are several common misconceptions about faith that we need to understand so that we might avoid them and the first thing is this that faith is not just a religious feeling faith is not just a religious feeling. Sometimes you'll hear a person say something with great conviction about their life or about some circumstance, and you'll ask them how they can be so sure, and they just say, well, I just know it. And I'm always like, well, how do you know it? Well, I, I can just feel it. I, I, I have faith that this is going to be the circumstance. Now, I can appreciate that sort of enthusiasm, that kind of belief that they have, but that's not faith. That's not biblical faith at least. In fact, the Scriptures warn us about getting too caught up in our feelings. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things and that it can lead us astray if we lean too much into it. Connected to that is another misconception about faith and that it is not wishful thinking. Faith is not wishful thinking. Sometimes if you want something bad enough, you'll declare that you have faith that it's going to happen. I've just got faith that it's going to happen. I don't have any reason to believe that. I just have faith, and you see that all the time. See it in movies, too. In Miracle on 34th Street, Fred Gailey says, faith is believing when common sense tells you not to. That's not faith. We sometimes believe that that's what it is about, but that's not faith at all, at least not biblical faith. It might be optimism, and there's certainly a place for optimism, and it's certainly wishful thinking. But it's not what the Scriptures describe as being faith, but sometimes that is kind of the way we think about it. Well, I really want this to happen. I, I, I've just got faith that it's going to happen, apart from reason. That's not what it is. So, it's not those things. One more aspect of what faith is not is that faith is not belief apart from evidence. Kind of follows on the heels of what we just said. The Christian faith is often criticized as though we are a bunch of people who sort of check our brains at the door and we make this blind leap off into believing this and believing that apart from any reasonable reason why we would think that, apart from any evidence to prove that true. That's one of the criticisms that oftentimes is leveled. And sometimes Christians think that that's really what it is also. And we approach faith in that sort of fashion. But that's not it at all. When the Apostle John wrote of faith, uh, the faith that he was advancing, here's what he wrote. He wrote this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Biblical faith is centered in evidence, not apart from evidence. We need to understand that. And I think in many circles, we've kind of done ourselves a disservice because there's been teaching that suggests maybe that is what it is. It doesn't have anything to do with blind leaps or denying evidence or or checking our brains at the door. It's none of that. What faith is not. It's not a religious feeling. It's not wishful thinking. It's not belief apart from evidence. All right, if it's not those things, then next, let's talk about, well, what faith is. What faith is. Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11, it's kind of what we're centering a lot of what we're saying here today on. It's In the New Testament, of course, it's a chapter that celebrates a bunch of different people. It's sometimes called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's these people, Abraham and Isaac and all these awesome people that we read of in the Old Testament who had who declared and lived out this awesome faith and here's how that chapter starts with a description of what faith is it's this now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see now that has caused a lot of angst When you stop and you look at what that is saying, because it's a very important verse, but it's oftentimes been misunderstood, it's been misinterpreted, to actually suggest it is saying the very thing that we just said that faith is not. Let me show you this to you. It says that faith is confidence in what we hope for. It's confidence in what we hope for. And on the surface, that sounds like a blind leap, doesn't it? I have confidence in something I'm only hoping for. I don't know that it's going to happen but I have confidence in it. That sounds like the very blind leap that we're accused to sort of be people that live out in our lives because in our world or in our mindset in our culture today when we say that we hope for something we are saying well there's a possibility it will happen and there's a possibility it won't happen right. You might say well I hope that it's going to be a mild winter but you have no confidence in the fact that that's going to happen. You have no assurance that that's going to happen. I might say, I hope I hope that people stop giving me cat gifts. I, I hope that, but, but I have no confidence whatsoever that that is going to happen. But if we then stop and say, well, I have confidence that there is going to be a mild winter, it's like, well, you can't have confidence in that because you don't know that for sure. But in the Scriptures, when the Scriptures use the word hope, it is not that it might happen, it might not happen. When we say hope, or when the Scriptures say hope, it's more in the, in the realm of assurance. It's my hope is built on nothing less. It's not, it might or might not be built, it's that I have absolute confidence because it's an assurance that I, that's how the Bible uses the word hope and to say that we have then the assurance or the confidence of that hope that we have isn't saying I have confidence in something that's uncertain. It's saying I have confidence in something certain. So at least that phrase in this verse in Hebrews 11one 1 isn't saying that we're doing any blind leaps. But then it goes into the second half as well that says, and assurance about what we do not see. Assurance about what we do not see. That also sounds a bit like a, like a blind faith because it's something we don't see. And I've got assurance, at least that's what it seems to be saying here to us. But there are all sorts of things that we don't necessarily see with our eyes, but that doesn't mean we can't know it to be true. How about gravity? You don't see gravity, but if I lift you up to the ceiling and let go of you, you'll believe, right? There's evidence of the fact that it is real. Even though we don't see it with our eyes, we can know that it is True, And for these original readers of Hebrews, they weren't in a place where they could see the faith. They could see the faith lived out. They could see the hope of those people that are spoken of in chapter 11 of Hebrews. They couldn't see it because those people were already dead. They couldn't see Jesus, the one who they are putting their hope and their trust in, because he'd already ascended back into heaven at this point. But it doesn't mean that we couldn't know about Jesus or couldn't know about those other people because it's written about, it's spoken about. There's all kinds of tradition that spoke of who Jesus was and what he had done. And this isn't all that long after he walked here on this earth. So even though they couldn't see those things specifically, they could still have assurance of the things that they do not see. That's what he's talking about here, so that isn't ruled out either in this context. So Hebrews 11.1 1 is not espousing any sort of blind leaps or any sort of uh, go-after-something, even though there's no evidence there like is oftentimes accused. In fact, it's just the opposite. The Scriptures push us toward evidence to establish our faith and to support it. Paul writes this, Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of, about Christ. He's saying there's evidence there you can look to, the Scriptures, which are incredibly reliable. I wish we could go through all of the proofs of the reliabilities of the Scriptures. But what it does, he says, you can look, you can see there's plenty of evidence for us to find to establish our faith. Or in 1 Corinthians, when Paul is talking about having faith in Jesus and in, the, in his death and in his resurrection, he writes this. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. What's he saying? You're resting in the truth about Jesus being raised. And he's saying, if that's not true, then your faith is futile. Because there needs to be evidence. That's his point. There's evidence behind the things that we believe. We're not taking blind leaps. Despite the fact that sometimes even Christians believe that if I'm going to have faith, I have to trust in things that I have no rational reason to trust in. That's not biblical faith. It might be optimism. It might be hope of some sort. It might be a sort of belief that you've developed in your spirit, but it is not biblical faith. And we need to understand that. And sometimes that's why our faith gets eroded, because we're calling hope, or we're calling optimism, faith. And when it doesn't actually happen that way, because we shouldn't have expected that it's going to happen, because there's no direct evidence that that's going to transpire, now our faith takes a back seat, or our faith gets eroded, because all it really was that we were moving forward with is optimism when we called it something else. And now we're struggling with our belief and our trust in God because we were trusting in optimism. We weren't living out faith. So, with that in mind then, let me just give you, as we think about what faith is, let me just give you three quick little facets of what faith is, all right? You can jot these down. The first of those, are what faith is, faith is Knowledge. That's an important facet of biblical faith. Faith involves knowledge about certain truths. You have faith in something that's knowable and based in fact. It's not just something that you desire. After speaking about the person of Jesus, the Apostle John writes this. says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know, so that you may know that you have eternal life, that you might have the knowledge of the Son of God so that you might have that understanding deep in your spirit and soul. Second facet of faith is assent. You've got knowledge and assent. It's not enough to simply know certain things. We must believe that those things are true, that those things are meaningful in our lives. We need to acknowledge that what Jesus has done, that these things are real, and that I'm going to take, and I'm going to accept them on the basis of the knowledge that I can have. There's knowledge, there's assent, and then the last piece is this: It is trust. Third facet is trust. Without trust, there can only be, as you're thinking about knowledge and assent, it's only an intellectual exercise to take a look at this thing and say, well, do I believe that? Do I not believe that? Could this be true? It's just an intellectual exercise. The scriptures tell us even the demons got that far. Even they had that knowledge. Even they believed the truth about Jesus, but it didn't lead to salvation. It wasn't hope. It wasn't faith for them because they hadn't put any trust in the work of Jesus and the knowledge that otherwise they had. Faith is selling out to Jesus as the only one who can provide for our eternal need. Splicing our trust and complete reliance on Him and what He's offering to us. In Proverbs, it says this, Trust. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. Trust. In Him, That's what submitting is, and he will make your paths straight. Without knowledge and assent and trust, there can't be faith. But when they come together, that essentially is a definition of faith, knowledge combined with assent about what that is and putting our trust in it not nebulous or arbitrary based on wishful thinking. It's grounded in verifiable truth. You don't need to check your brain at the door to have faith in God. In fact, you need to engage your brain in order to have faith in God. Don't listen to the arguments. Don't listen to the to sort of the calling out of Christians that you hear around you. Is oh, you're just these people of faith and faith has, no, say, respond to that. No, my faith has absolute reason. That's the reason I have faith is because there is something that I can point to. Faith is not mindless. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Faith is the fact that we have one that we can rest in and can believe in and put our trust in. When you have that, we can have confidence in what you're hoping for and assurance of what you do not see. So, with that understanding, what faith is not, and that basis of what faith is, then let's just turn one more corner and let's look at this, why faith matters. All right, what's the big deal? I mean, why does, why does faith matter then? Why is this so essential for us? Well, faith matters for a couple of very important reasons. One is because you can't operate in life without exercising faith. And that's not just true when it comes to spiritual things. It's true in all things in life. Just to navigate your way through life, you are exercising faith. If you don't, you're in a very sorry situation, but I think that you can acknowledge that this is true. Just making your way to the church building today, you had to exercise faith. You had to have faith that your vehicle was going to get you all the way to the building. And taking a quick look through the parking lot, that probably required more faith on some of your part than others. I saw some of the cars that are sitting out there right? Or when you would go through a green light on the way driving to the building, you had to have faith that the people who were coming from the other directions, that they had a red light because otherwise there might be an accident. You had faith. You never really thought about it. You just went through the green light. You had faith that it was going to be that way. Or maybe you went through the red light (laughs) and you had faith that the cops weren't around, right? Right? Yeah, but you had to go through the red light to get here on time, and based on when some of you showed up, some of you need to run more red lights to get here more on time. All right, well that's one realm. There are other realms as well. It wasn't very long ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was on an airplane. Getting on an airplane requires faith, right? For many of a number of reasons or or facets. One is that there's this 50 or 60 ton airplane that's actually going to get off of the ground, is going to stay in the sky until it's supposed to come back down. That's a step of faith. But that's not the only piece. How about the pilot? You've got to have faith in the pilot who you've never met, and they don't let you meet. Don't you think that maybe we ought to have the ability to, to vet our pilot and determine whether or not we want to put our trust in him before we actually get on the plane? Doesn't that seem like that would make sense? I mean, we get resumes from people who are going to do our dog sitting, <laughs> but, we, but we don't even know the name of the guy who's going to take us, or we're putting our life in his hands to go up in an airplane, right? Are you with me? But I'm not completely sure I even want to know when you really get right down to it. I mean, do do you want his resume? I mean, uh, okay, it looks like you graduated number 30 out of 32 in your flight school. Yeah, and it says here that you're an Enneagram 8. Aren't those the people that kind of rebel against authority and don't always follow the manual? You know what? I think I want an Enneagram 1. I want the perfectionist to be flying. I'm going to take the later flight. Thank you very much. We'd never get anywhere, and I think that's why they probably don't let you meet the pilot ahead of time you know, he's not there at the door when you're coming in. Sometimes he's there at the door when you're walking out and you get to meet him there and that's, and that's great. But do you ever do the walk by and you're kind of like, you are our pilot? <laughs> I'm glad I didn't know that before. You ever had that? I had that not long ago on one of the regional flights, you know, the, the smaller planes. They uh, put the younger pilots on those because if they crash, not as many people die. That's why they do that. But I went by, and it was one of the, and and I'm like, what was this? Was this bring your kid to day, to work day? I mean, is your dad in the cockpit there somewhere? You know, people, point is, we have to have faith in all of the things that we do in life, just day by day by day, the way that we operate. And that certainly is true when it comes to our spiritual lives as well. And sometimes we fail in faith. You ever considered in your life the times that fear kind of rises up in you? that what's going on, is fear not really just a circumstance in your life where you don't have enough information or rational reason to not have faith? Isn't that when it rises up? I mean, if you had no idea whether or not the lights were going to be green or red or what's going to happen there, and oftentimes that they're wrong, wouldn't you have fear every time you come to us? But you have faith in the fact that they're going to be doing what they're supposed to be doing. And the same thing is true in the spiritual realm as well. And sometimes when we find ourselves in a place of fear, it's because we're not allowing our faith to have the, have the underpinning of our lives like it ought to have. And we get stuck, and we get in places of difficulty and trouble, to be sure. Going through everyday life demands faith. And that same passage in Hebrews 11, you know what it says? It says this, And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Just let that roll around for a minute. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is that even fair? I mean, when you stop to think about it, think about all those things that you do to try to please God. Isn't that part of why you're reading your Bible and part of why you're praying and part of why you're kind to your neighbor and part of why... We get people, anybody, to work in the nursery, right? Because you're trying to get God pleased with you. I mean, don't you get any credit for any of those things? Well, it depends. Are you doing them to get credit? Because a lot of times that's what we do. We're motivated to do certain things because we're looking for credit. Or we're looking to try to push off the anger of God. There's something of that nature. We're trying to get him to come through for us. We're going to come through for you, God, because I need this done in my life, and, and maybe you'll do that for me if I do this for you. You see, that's just a transaction. Maybe it's even a bribe, but it's certainly not faith. certainly not faith. It's done from the wrong motive. Remember that genuine faith is born out of knowledge, assent, and trust. That's what it comes from. That's how we've been made to operate. Nothing else in God's creation has been made to operate in that same way. Only humans. We're the only ones. And when we fail to operate that way, we live in such a way that is, in the words of Erwin McManus, beneath our humanity. beneath beneath who we've been created to be. And that's why trying to manufacture a Christian-looking life creates behaviors that don't stick and they don't last, and oftentimes they just feel hollow when we carry them out or try to carry them out because they've just been manufactured by us. They haven't been enervated out of faith. You see, faith allows for positive movement forward in life. Left to ourselves and apart from faith, the only place that we will have confidence is in what we have. We can't have confidence in the future. We can't have confidence in what is out there. We can't look forward to what is coming because we don't have any confidence about that. We only have confidence, apart from faith, in what I can see, in what I have, in what's already happened, in where I'm living today. And that's a pretty empty place to live. You don't want to always be living in the past you want to be able to look forward to something you want to look forward to relationships blossoming you want to look forward to something moving forward in in the realm of maybe your job or your life or your faith or whatever it might happen to be but apart from faith we're stuck we can only look in on what we have that's the only place that we can find confidence Have you ever heard somebody complain they're like i hate my job I hate my boss. I hate my coworkers. I hate my job. I'm like, well, quit. Well, I can't quit because I need my job. I can't quit because this is what I know, and I don't have any confidence that if I quit this job that there could be anything positive, anything that God might lead me to in a different realm going forward. So I have to stay where I am because I have too much fear that there's nothing if I move outside of where I am. I hate it. Yes, I hate it, but I got to stay. I'm stuck. Same thing happens with people in relationships, oftentimes, in dating relationships. It's like, well, I know that she's, I mean, she used to be awesome, but she's not that awesome anymore. He used to to be fantastic. I mean, he was always so responsive and so caring, and he was always looking to all of my needs, and he was so attentive, and now, now I text him 50 times a day, and he never responds. And it's like, well, then get another relationship. Well, I can't do that. I mean, because I've don't, if I don't have Him, I might not have anybody. And being stuck only having confidence in the here and only in the now and only in what I know restricts me from being able to move into that which ultimately God might desire for me. Moving into the perfect plan that He would have for me, which isn't to be stuck in a relationship that isn't fostered or fostering a relationship with Christ, maybe an unequal yoke sort of situation. If you don't have the faith that God has your present and your future in mind, that He can't be trusted for the present or for the future, then you're going to be stuck. You're only going to have confidence in what you see, in what you know. And some of us are there, and we've been dissatisfied for a long time, hating this part of our life, hating that part of our life, But not willing to pursue anything else because we're too afraid, because our faith is too weak. It's by faith that we please God, it says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's how we please Him, because we're choosing to live out of trust in who He is and what He desires to do in us. Think about the people. Think about the people for a moment who impressed Jesus, There's some of those in the scriptures. It's not the Pharisees. They lived in the past. It's not just the the folks who kind of clung on for a little while because they just wanted to be, you know, they were kind of posers. They wanted to be, you know, good by association for a time, and then when Jesus goes to the cross, they're gone. It's not them. Who's Jesus impressed with? He's impressed with people like the centurion, the centurion had a servant. The servant got ill, very ill. He was going to die. And so the centurion has this faith that comes from somewhere in Jesus. He'd heard about Jesus, what Jesus was doing. He was doing this and that. And, and this guy's got faith in, in what Jesus can do. And so he like, comes to Jesus or sends people to Jesus and says, you know what? You don't even have to come. You just say the word and I believe that it'll be done that's what he said. You know what Jesus said? (laughs) Jesus said this. He said, I tell you, I have not found such faith even in Israel. That impressed Jesus, and he healed his servant. Or think about the Canaanite woman whose daughter was demon-possessed, and she comes to Jesus and the disciples, and she's just persistently pleading with them to do something for her daughter. And it looks like the disciples are like, Jesus, you want us to just get rid of her? She's bothering you? We can just get rid of her? And it looks like Jesus isn't going to take up her cause either. And she just persistently continues on and continues on until ultimately Jesus does heal her, saying this, Woman, you have great faith. Your request has been granted. We point to other stories, The people who impressed Jesus were the people who lived by faith. On the flip side, contrast that to when Jesus, he's hanging out in his hometown and he's gone back and he's gonna do ministry there and he's doing a few things, a few miracles here and there, but not everything that he wanted to do. And the scripture says, the scripture says that he was prevented from doing so. Here's what the scripture says. I think we've got that verse. Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith it says he wasn't able to do all that he wanted to do. Why? Because of their lack of faith. I think faith is important. What impressed Jesus It's the movement of faith. Unfortunately, there are churches all over that are filled with people who lack faith. They try hard, but with little effect because they're going through the motions of faith. They're trying to get to outcomes out of their own ability, not out of, not out of God. God's ability, God's purpose, God's plan, and so we live in fear as a result, and that's where many of us are. We know that God has something more in store. We believe that there could be something more in store for the people that we read about and the magazines and the people that Pastor Jeff talks about and all this stuff. It's like, why isn't my life like that? Could it be because we're living too much in fear? We're living too much in what I can see, And if I can't see where the next step lands, I'm not stepping out there. We're refusing our faith. And if that's where you are, you need a fresh start. Because God has more he desires for you. And more that he desires for me. If you're in need of a fresh start of faith, you'll find that you're failing to embrace one of those elements of faith that we talked about that you're failing to really hold on to the, the knowledge that we can have about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And if we really have the knowledge, and if we really assent to what he has done, then we have to come to a place where we acknowledge, yes, this is one who rose from the dead. How can we serve a God who had the power to rise from the dead, died for our sins, and we don't have the faith to step forward and to trust him for what's coming tomorrow? What's up with that? It's because we really don't trust. And that can impact us, even if you're a believer in Jesus, even if you've come to the place where you've put faith and trust in Christ at some point. Remember what we said? Faith can wane. It comes back and forth. And it could very well be that the the truth of what is contained within the scriptures is something that isn't impacting, influencing us. Why? Because we're not in it. We're not reading it. We're not allowing it to wash over us. And so what's washing over us instead is all of this nonsense that we hear in our culture that's been eroding our faith because it's eroding our trust in what God has given us. And until we claim what he has spoken, until we assent to it and put our sold-out 100% trust and what he's called us to do. If we won't do that, it's going to gut our faith. And that's where some of us are. Yes, we know Jesus. But is it influencing how we live and the steps we're willing to take and the risks we're willing to go after, which really aren't risks because there's evidence that stands behind what God is going to do, how he's going to supply. But we're afraid because our faith is weak and we need a fresh start. How are you going to build that faith? Well, living in the knowledge, assenting to what it is, putting our trust in Him, and giving it a try. Putting our trust means that we're going to actually do something with that. We're going to actually take some steps. We're going to step out, and we're going to do something to serve Christ in a bold and a broad way. We know what He's calling us to. We've read it. We know it. We felt guilty about not doing it, A fresh start of faith says, I'm going. I'm going to take the step. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to put my trust in Jesus that he's going to do what he says. Now, for some of us, our trouble has been because we've slipped back in what perhaps was originally a solid conviction on our part. For others of us, we've been wrestling with this because we've never really put our faith in Jesus. We've never really crossed over that line where we've acknowledged the truth about Jesus. We've assented to what that is, to the place where I'm saying that that is something meaningful for me and put our trust in him. Not trusting in ourselves to get it done. Not trusting in what I can see to get it done. Not trusting in the moment because I can't trust in the future. It's I'm putting all of my eggs in the basket of God providing for my future. That's faith. Faith. When we take that step, he responds. So whether it's through slipping back that you're struggling or because you've never taken the step that you're struggling, the way forward is the same. So acknowledge the truth about Jesus, assent to those facts, and put your faith in him. And when that happens, you will have towed the line and started down the path of your fresh start. And That's what I want for you. And that's what I want from me. But we can wrestle. We can struggle. Because we're not willing, because we haven't sold out. So we're living in what we can see. And that's where our trust is based. I have confidence in what I can see, in what I know, instead of what God is calling me to. It's time to step forward. It's time to take the step, whatever that requires of you. It's time for a fresh start. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you've laid out for us, for all that can be known for the fact that you're not asking us to jump off some ledge without some understanding of who you are and what you've done and, and what your desire is for us and, and the truth that you have promised on our behalf. I pray that we would be people who would take these steps recognizing what faith is, that we would acknowledge the truth about what you've said and who you are and what your word tells us. They would have sent that, yes, that is true and that is meaningful for me. That's something for me to embrace. And that we would put our trust in you. So often we try to accomplish things in this life by our own manufacturing, what we've done out of our own strength. And we're just hamstringing ourselves, we're just putting ourselves in a place where we can't move forward because we're resting in the wrong things. So Lord, in these moments, I just pray that you would convict us, that you would give us the courage of the conviction that faith in you is something that can be relied on in all times, in all things, that you have your best in mind for us, that when you call us to go in a direction, that going in that direction is always going to be best because we know it. We might not see it, but we can know it. And eventually we will see it. Lord, indeed it is true that apart from faith, we can't please you. And so many of us have been living our lives for years not pleasing you because we haven't been willing to live according to faith. And Father, there are some, perhaps you right now, or those listening today, who have never ultimately taken that step, never put their faith and trust in you. Lord, in this moment, I would pray that you might give us clarity, recognizing the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done and assenting to that and finally putting our faith in you, putting our trust in you that leads to it enervates faith. Friend, if you're here today and that's your step, that you need to put that trust in Christ, do it now. Just tell Jesus that's what you're doing, and a new faith will be yours, a fresh start. Lord, I would pray that you would work in us, that we would go from this place having a new conviction having a new desire, having a new commitment to live out a faith through a fresh start that will honor you and put us in the place where you desire us to be, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.